0: Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. So today I am beginning my newest series, where we will begin the study of what I think is one of the most awesome books of the Bible, the book of Revelation. This book is steeped in mystery and symbolism, and it's intended to show us in detail the apocalypse and what was to take place on this earth just before our Lord Jesus Christ returned to set up his kingdom. How many are looking forward to that day? You do realize we're going to be a part of his team, right? According to scripture. And we'll get into that a little bit later on. So, This is an introduction to the book and to its author. You've got to understand the author as well as uh, the book itself. And today I'd like to give you Wikipedia's, I think I'm saying that right, definition of what apocalypse is. Apocalypse means literally an uncovering, an uncovering, an uncovering. All right, I should just read it from up there. It's an uncovering. In a religious context, it means a disclosure of something that is hidden, a vision of heavenly scenes. Picture this in your mind, a vision of heavenly scenes or secrets that can make sense of earthly realities. And as I started to study this whole message out, I began to realize just how enormous this book is. You know, it's all prophetic. It's all future tense. When John wrote this, this was over 2,000 years ago, and yet it, it fits today. Everything that happens in the book of Revelation is going to take place soon, maybe even during our generation. Wow, that's exciting. And that's why all of us, each one, We need to know what this book says. We need to understand it so that when the false teachers come out, and they will, and they do, and they begin to peddle a bunch of nonsense about who Jesus is, we can say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what's going to happen in the end. There are a lot of misconceptions about what's going to happen after you die and after we go to be with Jesus. And I want you to be clear on this so that you can give an answer correctly dividing the word of truth as all of us should be able to do. It's no wonder that many shy away from this last book in the Bible. Some, I believe, even fear its content. I've known people to say to me, I don't ever read that book. And I say, why? Oh, it's too scary. The word of God... It's scary? Sure, things happen in there that maybe you don't exactly understand, but you shouldn't fear it. I've known others that refuse to study it, mostly out of frustration with all the images that are so difficult to comprehend. Again, should we study the Bible of Reve- the book of Revelation? Should we fear the Bible? No, not at all. I want to read the first few verses of this great book. If you turn with me. To Revelation chapter 1, and before I jump into this, let me just say this. There are a lot of holidays coming over the next couple of months, and I will be sensitive to those. Now, if I study, as, if as I'm studying the book of Revelation, it fits that holiday, then I'll keep on with this theme. But if not, then you may come in on a Sunday, and it'll be geared more toward, let's just use the example of Mother's Day, Okay. Now next Sunday, you're already warned. I'm going to take a hiatus. I'll be here, but I won't be speaking uh, on Revelation. So just realize that this isn't going to be a continuous thing. I don't want anybody getting disappointed. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Testament. This is a revelation. That is a disclosure. It's an uncovering. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. That's me. And he blesses all who listen to its message. Now I could stop there, but I do you an injustice and obey what it says. For the time is near. The time is near. So first, let me just back up briefly here. It says the time is near. You have to understand with God, he's not held by time. All right? So when Jesus gave this vision to John and he said the time is near, how many years has it been? A couple thousand? How many say it doesn't seem like that's real near? But with God, what? A thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. The Lord is not held by time. So he gives this message to John, and I just don't want you to be tripped up by that verbiage, okay? Next, who gave the revelation? Revelation. Jesus Christ, all right? So second, whose testimony is the revelation about? All right. Can we believe what John saw and wrote? I believe we can. And we also know from these few verses that the book of Revelation is all about you've got to get this in your heart. This book isn't just to show us future things. This book is to show us Jesus. 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 To whom was this revelation given? His servant, John. I want to take some time this morning to understand who this man was. Just a little bit better. Who was he? John was an amazing man. Obviously because Jesus said this is the one that Jesus loves. I mean, there must have been a bond there. How many have ever had a bond like that with someone? A brother or sister? Maybe in the Lord, maybe not. There was something about John He must have had a big heart. How did he, this servant, how did he end up in this predicament that he found himself in when the angel came to deliver this message? How did he find himself on this lone island, if you will, where he would eventually receive the book of Revelation? I want to talk about this just briefly. One thing the Bible reveals about John is that he was a disciple. We know that, right? Not only was he a disciple, but he was the one Jesus loved. He was with Jesus during the transfiguration. I don't know if you guys remember this. If you look, that first picture kind of illustrates it a little bit. What an amazing, amazing thing to see. And I'm sure that those men shuddered, the the three that were there. But John was one of them. He also witnessed many other miracles. And of course, he was with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when he shed those tears of blood. He watched as the soldiers came to take him out of the garden. He most likely followed Jesus as he carried his cross from town all the way up to Golgotha or Skull Hill. He was there. He saw all of this. Now at some point he ended up at the foot of the cross And this is where, just before Jesus passed, he said to John, John, this is your mother. Mom, this is your son. And he asked John to take care of her. They didn't have retirement back then. Somebody had to take care of them. And John was the one that Jesus trusted the most. So obviously, he was a very special man. Not only did he trust him with his mother... But he also trusted him with the book of Revelation, which is pretty amazing. He was there when Jesus returned in that upper room. And when he asked Thomas to go ahead, stick your fingers in the wounds. John was there. He witnessed that. He was there as Jesus ascended into heaven. And the angels with him. And then he was in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. John's a very important figure in the Bible. This is about all that we can really deduce other than reading the book of John. But we have to understand that there was more to this man that happened beyond what the scriptures testify of him. Now what I'm about to tell you isn't in the Bible, all right? This is called extra-biblical writing meaning that they weren't found in the Bible, but they were written in or around the time period of Jesus, and they were often a complement of what was already written in the Bible. These extra-biblical writings are recorded by some of the early church fathers like Irenaeus, Eusebius, and Jerome. In the end, you have to decide whether or not to trust or to believe these writings. Now times were difficult for all the apostles. How many know that 11 of the apostles were martyred? Out of 12. One of them was, of course, Paul. Paul was also martyred. But one of them wasn't. They tried. They did their best to kill him. The Roman emperor Domitian ordered that the Apostle Paul be boiled to death in oil because he wouldn't shut his mouth about Jesus. He was like the superintendent, if you will, will, over the uh, community of Ephesus. And the Romans didn't like people that kept talking about this Savior. They were afraid of him. They were afraid there was going to be an uprising and that these Christian leaders were going to lead it. John was put in a boiling vat and they tried to cook his skin off. This happened in the Roman Colosseum somewhere around 97 A.D., just to give you uh, a time frame, plus or minus a few years. We can't exactly tell you when that was. But as the guards furiously added wood to the fire to keep that thing going, what did John do? Realize he's got a big audience similar to here. They're all cheering. Yeah, roast him, roast him. You know what he did? Started preaching. Started telling them about Jesus. Told them that God loved them. Told them that he died for them, and if they put their trust in him, they would have everlasting life. You know what happened? They took him out of the vat. Because he wasn't dying and he wouldn't shut up in there either. <laughs> and this is said of this whole situation. Out of the audience, hundreds if not thousands who witnessed this miracle gave their hearts to Jesus that day. Can you imagine Domitian, the emperor? Can you imagine how Upset he was? Throwing his little tantrums? So what do you do with somebody that uh, you tried to boil, but it didn't work? You banish him. You banish him. Another respected church leader who's known as Tertullian, he lived between 155 and 240 AD, he came to faith around the age of 42, so he was a little bit late there, but then he became an apologist of the faith. I mean, this guy knew what the scriptures said, and he taught a lot of different people about the Bible. He later wrote that the Apostle John was banished to this island of Patmos after the emperor had failed in his attempt to boil him to death. Banishment to a remote island back then was a very common thing with the Romans. Some of the islands were used more like Alcatraz, remember that? Like a penal colony. They couldn't get off it without probably risking their lives or dying. So they would end up spending the rest of their days on that island. Now I want you to understand that Patmos was not like one of those Hawaiian islands with the tropical rainforests and the animals and the birds and uh-uh, it wasn't like that at all. The only thing Patmos had in common with Hawaii was that it too was formed from volcanic rock, but it consisted only of shrubs and maybe some grass, but no trees. The island was also very small, about 17 square miles. Now, just to give you an illustration, Mackinac City is about four square miles, so it was a little bit bigger than Mackinac Island, but not much. It was about seven, I think my math is right, seven by six miles or something like that. But to live on that the rest of your life, he thinks it would be a very unhospitable place. That's where we find the Apostle John. That's where we find him when the angel of the Lord meets him right where he's at and gives him this very important message. First, Jesus trusts him with his mother. Now with the last book that we find in the Bible. There are a couple more things that I want you to grasp as we delve into this, what I call a mystical book. Realize that the Apostle John lived in a time where there was no electricity, no computers, no cars or trains, certainly no planes, and no space travel. Life was at a much slower pace back then. Nothing like you'd find today in some of our modern cities. I mean, he'd flip if he saw a subway. With that in mind, I want you to think about the vision that he must have seen and what it meant to him. To quote William H. Hunt, who happened to be a a naval secretary back in the early 1900s, When language, he said, when language was not transcendental enough to complete the meaning of a revelation, symbols were relied upon for heavenly teaching and familiar images chosen from the known were made to mirror the unknown spiritual truths. So God used images sometimes to show this man what was to come. I quoted Hunt for a couple of reasons. First, he was a soldier. If you look at this, this uh, I have the, the lion up there. If you look at the lion, when Jesus was on this earth, he was known as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was a peace bearer. He came to love us into the kingdom. Now, what we see in the book of Revelation is someone different. Someone who is more like the lion than the lamb. Someone who is at war with his enemies. And someone who takes care of business. If you're his enemy, you will pay. If you're in this room today and you are his enemy, you're going to pay the price. Give your hearts to the the Lord. If you're you're not with Him, then you're against Him. Jesus said that. If you're not for me, you're against me. Don't play games. In this day and age, do not play games. Your very soul is in the balance. And I promise you, when the warrior returns, I'm talking about Jesus, when He comes back, He's not coming back with an olive branch. Not to to start with. He's coming back with a sword. And those who are against him are going to be defeated. And defeated mightily. That's something you and I can look forward to. So this man understood the book of Revelation to be a book of war. And he also understood what it must have meant to John to be able to look ahead and see all these things and then try to comprehend them. What did they mean? How could John tell his generation in in its primitive state about all these future things like space travel and all of that? It's important before we go any further that you understand the difficulty that John must have had That he must have felt. What I want you to do this morning is try to put yourself in John's place. Put his sandals on for a minute and walk in them. And just think about this. As you're imprisoned on an island for convicts, where life certainly isn't easy, there you find yourself meditating on the good times that you had with your loving God, Jesus. I'm sure he thought about them all the time. And while he's there, this heavenly being shows up. And he, he realizes something's going on, but he's not exactly sure what it is at first. Am I hallucinating? Think about it. What would you think if all of a sudden an angel were right here looking down on us? Would you begin to go, whoa, what I have this morning? Maybe, maybe he thought it was the olive pizza that he had the night before. Now, I'm sure he would have loved to have had an of pizza, but I doubt that was available to him. Now, I think as it becomes clear, he realized he was in the presence of a heavenly being. And the message that the angel had with him was from none other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His master, his savior, Jesus Christ. Kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, doesn't it? What I want you to see is that because the book of Revelation was written by a man who was seeing things in the future tense, it would have all but been impossible for him, for John, to be able to describe what he saw. Do you agree? I appreciate how the teacher's Commentary describes this amazing moment for John. What John saw was apocalyptic, a vision from heaven. The angel shared this imagery with John as a prophetic view of his future and the future of the world. It showed the complete decimation or destruction of our world as we know it. But not to worry, the commentary says. Before this world is destroyed, according to Revelation 21.1, a new heaven and a new earth will appear before the old is destroyed. That's good news. Then those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will live forevermore with him. So John not only sees the heavens and the earth transformed, but he also sees the devices that were used in modern time that he couldn't possibly understand. So how could he translate what he saw To the people of his day. I like how the teacher's commentary put this part. They kind of use a little more modern uh, illustration and they said, I imagine that one of our great great grandfathers who lived 150 years ago was suddenly transported to our time. Can you picture that? Anybody have a great great grandfather? Most of us? He witnesses a traffic jam, he sees a TV football game complete with those. Instant replays. I mean, that had to blow him away. He sees it once, and then he go back. He's taken up in a 747. He goes into a, an air-conditioned movie. He's given popcorn and soda. Then he returns to his own age, and he's given the task of explaining all of what he saw to his contemporaries. Can you imagine that? they would look at you and they'd say, you're a fl- Fruit Loop. You flipped it, man. What are you talking about? And herein lies the problem. John lacked all the terms and the images that we use to describe what is common to us. He experienced things that no one else in his day could ever imagine. How terribly difficult it must have been for him as he struggled for the right words to communicate what he had seen, what he'd been shown by the angel. And that's exactly what John faced. Yes, the events he saw were real as real can be. I believe he was put right in the middle of the battle of Armageddon. I believe he saw these things as the bowls were released on the earth as judgment for their sins. He saw them. He was there but John had to struggle with an inadequate vocabulary, and he had to have difficulty sharing his vision in a way that the people of his time could understand it. Does this make sense to anybody besides me? Do you see the importance of why I wanted you to understand this and why I'm taking so much time with it? I make this point as we study this wonderful book because I want you to realize, yes, The Bible is inspired. The book of Revelation is inspired by God. He gave John what to write. He put that on his heart. John saw that vision. But a man wrote it. And that man wasn't infinite in his knowledge. He couldn't put these things in a way that you and I might understand it. And that's why we see a lot of this imagery that doesn't always make sense. And because of this, because this man, he was only used to traveling on foot or perhaps riding on a donkey or a horse. But that was was fast travel back then. And then he sees these jets flying across the sky. That'd flip you right out. He thought they were creatures. He didn't know there was a man, a pilot inside of it. He didn't understand that part of it. I say all that to say, you and I, as we study this together, we cannot be definitive on what the book of Revelation says. There are many views of what all of these things mean. And I'm not trying to tell you today that I have all the answers. And Brother David, you're probably, and I'm looking to you as one of the, the most profound teachers in the church. Do you have all the answers to Revelation? Yeah. No, he says. Certainly not. There's so much there, so much meat that God intended us to have, and I believe some of it. It's like a time capsule. You know, you take one of those little, uh, let's say, Benadryl. You know, the little little beads are inside each little capsule. What are they supposed to do? Release at different times, right? So when you take that thing, that little pill. It's not all at once, but over time, it releases and it helps you to feel better, hopefully. And I believe Revelation is similar, that God gave all this to John at one time, but it's meant for the remainder of time. And as these events reveal themselves, then we'll know better what each symbol meant, what the imagery meant. But until we see it come to pass, we may not have a totally solid or firm understanding of each thing that took place in the Bible. So here's my warning. As we study this book, don't go out of here being dogmatic. Well, my pastor said such and such. Uh Uh-uh. Just be kind. You know, we've been studying Revelation and as I understand it, I think this is what it means. Be kind. Don't be that other person, okay? Are you with me? Still. All right. On the other hand, we can learn from this book, right? And apply it to our daily living. Just because it was written in future tense, which I believe is about now, doesn't mean that there isn't something in it for us to live by on a daily basis, we can begin to understand what the end of this world and the beginning of the next is going to look like. And you'll have that understanding as we go ahead here. We can be encouraged to know that this earth will not be destroyed by a nuclear bomb, nor is it going to be decimated by a giant meteor that hits our planet. Sorry, how do I know? Because the Bible tells us that's not how it ends. It's going to end when God ends it. And it's after the thousand year reign. So you and I have nothing to worry about when it comes to total annihilation of this planet. Even though there are a lot of scientists out there that, begin, that believe otherwise. We can begin to understand, as I've already said, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is coming back as a ferocious, a ferocious king. We're going to see how much he hates sin. He's coming back as the righteous judge. Many will fear and even rebel against him as he comes back to rule and reign for a thousand years. There's so much more that you and I are going to see as we learn, as we uncover what this book has in it. I'm really excited about beginning this particular book. And believe it or not, this is where I'm going to close this week. I wanted to give you an understanding of of John. What he had to have gone through as he wrote this. And keep that in mind as we pick this up in two weeks. But what I also want you to know is that the word of God is timeless and it may have been written in future tense, but believe me when I say this, every word in this book can change you. Every word in the book of Revelation can begin to do something miraculous because it's God's word. It's like a two-edged sword. And it can go in there and it can chisel stuff away. And some of you have got religious spirits attached to you. You've been brought up in religion all your life. Maybe maybe what I'm talking about today is a little new to you. The, The idea of coming to Jesus and asking him to forgive you of your sins. Maybe the idea of serving him all the days of your life. And even when you go to change something in your life, going to him and saying, Lord, what next? What should I do now? Maybe that's foreign to you. But God wants that kind of relationship with each of his kids. And you are a kid, a child of God, if you say yes to Jesus. If Jesus Christ gave this book to the beloved Apostle John, while he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and if the Holy Spirit placed it on the hearts of our early forefathers to put it in what we call the Protestant Bible, then I believe it's at least important enough to have a basic understanding of what the book of Revelation actually teaches. Let me share verse 3 one last time. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. What do I see there? I see blessing, and I see blessing. Who wants a blessing? So we need to understand what this book says. And I love, when he, I love the beginning of Revelation because it begins right away with the church and how we're supposed to live. And then it goes into all the crazy stuff that we'll talk about a little bit later. What's going to happen in the end, how John saw it. And how we can apply that to today. But here's the thing. In order to be blessed, you have to do what the Word of God says. What's it say? Listen to the message and what? Obey. Obey. Listen to the message and obey. Say that with me again. Listen to the message and obey. That's what you do with God's Word. And when you do that, you will be blessed. It will change you from the inside out. When you find yourself in that tough place, the Word of God, the words of God are going to come back to you. And they'll give you strength. They'll give you faith. They'll help you to endure, to stand up under the pressures that this life often brings. You may be in a place today, if you'd stand with me, you may be in a place today where you don't know what to do next. You're frustrated. Maybe you'd even say you're lost. I've lost my way. I, I don't know what to do next. How many in this room have ever been there? Raise your hand. If you've ever been, you've been lost, you didn't know where to turn. Now, put them down. How many of you who just raised your hand You found Jesus and he helped you on that path. I can't imagine where I'd be today if I was still alive. Had it not been for the grace of God and the love that he had for me. He set me on a new path. And I just want you to understand that whoever you are in this room, I I may not know you yet. I hope I get to know you, but... God loves you. He loves you. And the reason that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die for you is because of that love. And that, that song we sang, it said something about he wants us in heaven with him. And that happens We're given heaven because of and through the powerful name of Jesus. He's the only one that can forgive sins through his blood. He's the only one that can redirect you. The old life can be behind. A brand new, sparkling, fresh life is ahead of you if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet. How do I know that? Cuz I was there. Back in 1981, I was lost and didn't know where to turn. And then I was introduced to the loving God, Jesus. And he got a hold of my heart. I can't explain it yet today how I felt that day. But I knew After I'd repented of my sins, after I'd said yes to Jesus, I knew I was different. He changed me. And I've been different ever since. You ask anybody in my family. You ask my wife first because she knew the old Norman. I was appropriately named Stormin' Norman. Not because of how I played baseball. Baseball but because I was angry at the world. And Jesus came in there and he restored my life and he changed me. And no longer was I storming Norman, but I was loving Norman. Even I still can't believe he did that because I was such a mean person and it changed me. I wasn't perfect, but man, there was a, there was a difference in me. You got to come up here. I just... Pastor Barb, come on up here. You're you're my other half. Before Jesus, she was just my my love muffin. <laughs> and I don't mean muffin in a derogatory way. What are you saying? I'm big? No. I didn't say I, it. <laughs> oh, you were thinking it. I didn't know how to love her. I struggled with it. And I think because of that, I drank too much. I did other things too much. And I didn't know how to respond to her. As a God fearing man, enter Jesus. He got me cleaned up, born again. I went home and I started loving her. And after three weeks, she looked at one of her best friends who wasn't saved yet. She is today. Wasn't then. My wife wasn't saved yet. She looked at her friend and said, I don't know what's happened to Norman, but I don't care. I like it. And that following week, and I'm not making this up. She got saved. Amen. She gave her heart to the Lord, to Jesus, and he forgave her. Amen. And then it wasn't just Norman loving. It was Barb and Norman loving each other. In Christ, it's like having that little tube put over you, like exponential. It was Norman all by himself. Not Norman exponential two or three or whatever because Jesus was in us. We still had our struggles. But glory to God, we could work through them because he was with us. And another thing that happened, I learned to forgive. We learned to forgive each other because prior to that, we never forgave each other. I brought stuff up that she did two years before. She did the same with me. You remember when we first got married? Yeah, I try to forget, but you won't let me. <laughs> but after Jesus, I didn't bring that stuff up anymore. It was under the blood. She didn't bring it up either. It was under the blood. And we were able to get on with things. I believe that's why we're standing here today in front of you, still married. Almost 41 years. And I only say that because I want you to know you can have a similar life if you don't have it already. Jesus loves you that much. He wants a good thing for you. So everybody bow your heads if you would. You may not even be married yet. God loves you. He wants you to come into his kingdom today, washed clean from your sins. No more guilt. Listen, you may be carrying stuff that you've been carrying your whole life, and the devil's whispering in your ear, Oh, God will never forgive you that. You went too far. That's a lie from hell. None of us is perfect. Many of us have done things that we never should have done, and they were horrendous things. When you read your scriptures, you'll see there were people that even murdered. Yet, God forgave them. So please understand, it doesn't matter what you've done to this point. What matters most is that you say yes to him and allow him to cleanse you of your sins. Your past is past. It'll be under the blood. From this day forward, you'll be a child of God. And your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life you're ready to make that commitment to him John said he was a servant of Jesus that's what he asks of us we we become servants of his and it's awesome to be his servant because he takes care of us he gives us all we need and he directs us on our path with every head bowed eyes closed if you're here today and you say pastor I want to serve Jesus So far in my life, I've not done that, but I'm ready. I believe that God is calling me today to make a commitment to him and to have him forgive me of my sins. If you're here, just so I can see it, please lift your hand up. Yep, hands going up, hands up, hands up all over the room. Anybody on my left? Yes, you can put them down if you've already. Thank you. You can put them down if you've already raised them. anyone that hasn't already raised your hand, just lift them up. This is between you and God. This is not something I'm going to call you out and say, oh, get up here. Although that's not a bad thing, but I'm not going to do that today. Many hands went up. I, too many to count. A couple dozen. Hallelujah. I want to pray with you. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God died for you, And if you'll confess your sins to him, he will forgive you of your sins. And he will turn you into the right person. But you need to confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that he did this for you. So I want you to say this short prayer after us. And I'm going to ask the whole church here to join us. So that you're not in this alone. But I want you to pray this loud enough so your own ears can hear This is life changing what we're about to do. So please, nobody moving around just for another minute. Just be praying, Christians. I want you to say this prayer, and if you believe it and if you mean it, your life is going to be changed just like ours was. Are you ready? Saints, pray this with us. Father God. I need Jesus. I need to know your love. I've messed it up. My life isn't right. And I know it today. I've done many things wrong and maybe a few things right. But none of that matters today. I come to you Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but also as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I believe you died for me, Jesus. When you hung on that cross, my face went across your memory. You saw me in the future, and you died for me. Today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean in the blood of Jesus, and set me on the right path. Help me to serve you, Lord, just as the apostles did. Help me to be a disciple of Jesus So I can learn from you and put my trust in you. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. All right, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant business, you need to. Write this date down. You know what I just thought? What is this? This is the 16th. I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, No, no, no. No, no. I meant, I said that wrong. Yes, it's the 23rd. I don't even know where I was going with that, but I was going to say this. I was saved on, I believe it was April the 28th, back in 1981, whatever that is so you're about a week off from when I got saved that's pretty cool God has never left me and now the fun begins your name according to the Bible your name was just written into the Lamb's book of life what does that mean what's it mean it means eternal life it means that if your heart were to stop beating today and I hope it doesn't but if it did You'd have nothing to worry about. You would be in heaven with God and he'd be saying, come on, son, come on, daughter. You're going to spend eternity with me. Here's the thing. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to judge the church. He's coming back to judge the world for not trusting in him. And we know that. So you've got nothing to worry about. And the cool part is, There's a partay going on right now in heaven because the Bible also says the angels in heaven rejoice whenever one. There are a lot of hands that went up today. So, if you didn't already get a hold of it, we have a little booklet called The Start of Something Wonderful, The New Life. It's a little green booklet. Get it from one of our ushers, one of our, our greeters, please Take this with you, begin this new life, and sign up out there. The next step, according to God's Word, is get baptized in water, and then we want you to get filled with the Holy Spirit. But right now, I want you to focus on that public proclamation. What is the public proclamation? You're going to stand up here just before we dunk you, and you're going to say, you know what? I gave my heart to Jesus. Jesus. I love him, and I'm going to serve him the rest of my life. That's a public proclamation. You got to be willing to do that. Take that next step if you really meant business today. Because otherwise you're going to end up falling back into the old life. Don't let that happen. And I promise you as a church, we will rally around you as we get to know you. We'll help you as much as we can with your life and the new life that God's giving you. But you got to kind of make your, got to put yourself out there a little bit, okay? Get to know us a little bit. Yeah? That's happening. That's happening. Next Sunday, right here. There's good, Okay, there's no baptism tank there right now, it's invisible. But next Sunday, there will be one right there, and, it, and it's heated water. You just have to bring a change of clothes and a towel so that when you get it wet, you can go dry off. I hope many of you sign up. I hope many of you come back next week. And I open that up to everybody. If you haven't made that, taken that stand, do that next Sunday. We love you. I'm excited about this. I, I, if, I hope I didn't spend too much time on the introduction, but I really felt it was important we get this. And trust me, when we get into this, it's going to move fast. Jesus... Thank you for everything you're doing in this body. Thank you for every person that loves you. And Lord, for those that just gave their hearts to you, seal them in the kingdom. God, don't let the enemy have his way with them anymore. Help them to grow up in Jesus. They're born again now. The old man is dead. The new man has come. Help them to know what that means. And Lord, today we pray for your protection around our families. Our loved ones that are serving this country and the armed forces, keep them safe. Our students that are in college, keep them safe from the enemy and the lies that he tries to spread. And Lord, as we travel, keep all of us safe. Bless the cookies that the Kumpers made, the, the little snack time and fellowship. We love you. We give you this church. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Shake somebody's hand that you haven't met yet. Have a great week. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.